0: You need to know this morning it don't matter who you are how long you've been running from god what you have done what you haven't done how young you are how old you are you need to know you serve a god of second chances never count anyone out in the first two chapters of jonah we have seen that no matter how far a person attempts to run away from god god is always one step ahead We now begin to see a deeper and fuller picture of who God really is and what God is really up to. He is a God of grace, a God of patience, a God of love and mercy. He is a forgiving God. In this fourth sermon of the Jonah series, God gives Jonah a second chance to get things right, a second chance at life. God gives Nineveh 40 days to turn from their wickedness and follow the Lord. Listen in as Pastor Joplin preaches on the God of second chances. If you ever wish that you had a redo, Or maybe that you could just start over, hit the rewind button and have a chance to change things. When I was a kid, there was a movie that came out called Groundhog Day. And I don't know why, I just never liked the movie. I just thought it was a bad plot. But the storyline is, is that uh, Bill Murray, the main character in it, uh, he just plays the same day over and over and over and over and over again. And it was Groundhog Day. That's where the title came from. In some ways, Jonah has his Groundhog Day here where he is spit up and God tells him again. I love these words in the very first sentence the second time. I want to talk to you this morning about the God of second chances. In Matthew chapter 12 and verse 20, there's this interesting statement about Jesus, about how He treats people, about God's anointed servant, and it's an interesting passage that in essence says that He will not throw away a bruised reed or do away with uh, the the flax, the smoldering flax. It's a very interesting statement. The indication is that God does not throw away those people that have become useless. You know, in the um, world of music, a reed goes to a wind instrument And when you blow on the instrument, it makes noise. Hopefully good noise if you're good at what you do. But once a a reed becomes bruised, bent up, ruined, it just kind of makes a dull sound. And you know, it's really easy to just replace it. If you're trying to start a fire and you've got flax, but it's wet and it's smoldering, the easy solution would be to just get rid of it and get some dry flax. But Matthew 12, 20 says that's not what Jesus does. He doesn't get rid of the bruised reed. He doesn't get rid of the smoldering flax. And it, it indicates to us that we serve a God, that instead of just discarding us when we become bruised or we begin to smolder, somehow He has another plan in place. And we see that with Jonah, that God said, I'm not just going to discard you, Jonah. I'm not just going to get rid of you. And the awesome thing about Jonah is the awesome thing about the Bible, and that is that Jonah's not the only one that ever needed a second chance. Jonah's not the only record of God having to give His people, even His prophets, His leaders, second chances. For some of us, more than two or three. You need to know this morning that God is a God of second chances. You know, the enemy wants us to feel like when we've blown it, when we've made a mistake, when something's gone tragically wrong, that that at best God can kind of take it and and make, you know, plan B. I don't know how to say this in a way that makes sense, but God's plan B is better than your plan A. And, And I don't understand it, but even if... Plan A, which was for Jonah to go and not have to go through the fish, God makes plan B still even better than plan A. I mean, God has this ability to take all things and work them out for the good of those who love Him and are called according to His purpose. He has this ability to kind of just all of a sudden hurl the storm, as we looked at in the last several weeks, and and, and deal with what needs dealt with. But in the grand scheme of things, His plan is still going to be worked out, and He is a God of second chances. I think somebody needs to hear that this morning. Has counted themselves out or that thinks I've done too much, I've gone too far. God is a God of second chances. This morning, I want to talk about what second chances look like. There are some facts, some lessons that we can learn about second chances that God gives us. The first thing I want us to note about second chances this morning with God is that the command does not change. Notice in verses 1 and 2, the word of the Lord came to Jonah the second time, saying, Arise, go to Nineveh, that great city, and call against it the message I will tell you. We see the command doesn't change. It's an important thing to know about second chances. In other words, after you throw your tantrum, God doesn't change course and decide, Well, let's meet in the middle. God's commands do not change to us even when the second chance comes. Notice, first of all, the mission is the same. Go to Nineveh. Jonah, that's what's going to happen. You're not just getting a second chance on on life. This second chance involves that you continue on the mission that you didn't want to do to start with. Can I tell you a little secret about going far with God? You'll go a whole lot further with God the faster you learn to just do what God tells you to do. This statement sounds funny, but there's a lot of spiritual truth to it, and that is that God has all the time in the world. You and I don't. God is more patient than you are. And when God says, this is what I want you to do, you can run from it for five years, ten years. God's not going to give you more instructions until you finally do what God says to do. And the second chance that you get it, whatever it may be, you need to understand the command is still the same. God doesn't change his mind. God doesn't think, well, you don't want to go to Nineveh. Okay, Jonah, I'm going to let you go home, get back to your old job. I'll find someone else to handle Nineveh. He says, nope, I'm God. This is the command. I'm giving you a second chance, but notice the command doesn't change. The mission doesn't change. You know, I have watched people in their Christian life just um, kind of flounder, if that's a real word. If it's not, I just made it up. Write it down. Flounder as a verb. I've seen Christians do it. And one thing that's generally consistent is they do have direction from God. They know what God has said. They know what is going on in their life that needs to change course. They have some direction, but they don't like the direction. They don't like what God has said. And so they think to themselves, I'm just not going to do that thing. God, I will serve you. I'm going to continue to do some things. I'm going to go to church. I'm not going to totally abandon my faith, but I'm not going to do that thing that I know I need to be doing. That's my sin. And so it's just my little thing over here. And I've watched Christians that kind of live with that mentality. And what happens is God basically says, okay, we'll see how that works out for you. And we just beat our head against the wall. Until finally we realize that this is a bad idea. I should have did it God's way. Here's what you're going to find every time. When you come back to God, God is merciful. God is gracious. God's willing to give the second chance. And the first thing he's going to say is, now, about that thing I was talking about when you didn't want to listen. And the command doesn't change. The Bible teaches us that God's word is a lamp to our feet. That it is a light to our path. You know, a lamp and light in a dark night or in a dark place can only lead you so far. And so if you want to see what's further down the road, if you want to see what the next steps are, there's only one way to do it, that is to take the light you have and walk in it. This is, this is a picture of how it is spiritually with God. God says, I'm going to give you some direction. I'm going to show you what you need to do, but if you want anything else, you're going to have to walk in the light that I've shown you. Otherwise, you're just going to stay stuck. There's there's no possible way to see more, grow more, learn more, do more, move forward without taking the light that I've given you and following it. The mission's the same. The message is the same. He says to Jonah, go and preach the message. And the message is short. It's extremely short. It simply goes and says, 40 more days and Nineveh will be overturned. He goes in. That's the message. 40 more days and Nineveh will be overturned. Some of you all are like, man, I wish Jonah had come preach here, man. Just a little quick message, you know. Well, no. He said it over and over and over again for days. And so... We can preach over and over and over again. You want to preach the same sermon four times for four hours, I will. Jonah's message was short. It was pointed. Forty more days, and then it was going to be overturned. I don't think there's any doubt that people probably asked what he was talking about, and he probably expanded from time to time and explained who God was and who Jehovah was and what he was capable of doing. I don't doubt that at all, but the heart of the story is the message was short and sweet, and this was the message that God gave him to tell the people. That is, y'all got 40 days to repent or this place is going to be overturned. Notice the concerning the, the fact that everything stays the same. Even the ministry itself is the same. God is willing to forgive. God is a God of grace and mercy, and His goal here is transforming the people of Nineveh. Nothing has changed. There's only one thing that's changed so far in the story, and that is Jonah. Jonah's heart has now turned and said, Lord, I'm going to go where you tell me to go. I'm going to say what you tell me to say. And that changes everything in this story. One of the things that's fascinating to me is this truth that God chooses to work through men and women. God chooses to work through humans. That is how he does it. He works through humans. People And it's fascinating to me as we read this story of a complete revival that sweeps Nineveh. It really is tied to the result of one man getting his heart right and saying, OK, God, I'm going to do what you tell me to do. Never underestimate the power that you might have by being fully obedient to God. Doesn't always make sense. There's not always an explanation on why God tells us to do what God tells us to do. But when we see we turn the heart to the Lord and we trust God, things change. Notice the second thing concerning second chances with God is that God expects a response. You need to know that about second chances with God. God expects a response. There may be somebody here this morning, God's dealing with your heart, and He expects a response. First of all, we had the response of Jonah, which for the first time so far in Jonah's world has been the right response. According to what God has told him to do, his response is, yes, Lord, I will go. I want you to notice God also expected a response from the people of Nineveh. It's interesting that the Ninevites believed Jonah. But more than believing Jonah, they believed the God who sent Jonah. It wasn't just Jonah they heard, it was God's message they heard. I pray that when you hear me, most of the time it's not me that you hear, but God's message that you hear. Because it's not my thoughts, and that's true of anybody that, that preaches anywhere, whether it's here at the well or anywhere else. It's not the thoughts of men that lead us to transformation. It's not the thoughts of men that lead us to being in a right standing with God. It's the message of God that we need to hear. And this is what the people of Nineveh heard, and it it demanded a response. In verse 5, everything begins to change. This response is more than simply turning away from something. It's also a turning to something. I want to explain that. I was thinking about this point, that there's a turning away and a turning to. As I was thinking about this, this is the truth. I actually began turning away from my life about three to four months before I got saved. I really did. I just didn't know what to turn to. And so I turned to something that that wasn't right either. But I had come to grips with the facts. My life was terrible. I didn't want to spend the next 40 years of my life selling drugs like almost everybody else I knew. I didn't want to die a needle addict like a lot of my friends. I wasn't having fun with life anymore. I was a big fraud. I showed up, I smiled, partied, acted like I enjoyed life. Meanwhile, I went home and wondered why in the world I was still alive and wondered what I wanted to do with the next several years of my life. And about the only conclusion I could come up with is I didn't want to live it. See, I had begun turning away from it. I wasn't embracing that life anymore. I was beginning to see it for what it is, all big, big, fat lie. And in my heart, it's like, I don't want to do that anymore. I don't want to live this way. And, and I even remember, my wife will tell you, we had some discussions and they were confusing discussions because there was, on one hand, this kind of stance, like, I don't want to be that guy, but whatever I was turning to was really no different. It's because I didn't know what to turn to. It's one thing to decide, well, you're going to quit your, your, this evil thing in your life. It's one thing to decide you're going to turn from this. It's a whole other thing to know what to turn to. And you need to understand that's the dual part of the response God expects. He expects us to turn away from a a wicked lifestyle, away from our lying and conniving and cheating and stealing and fornicating and general evilness. He, He expects us to turn away from that, but He expects us to turn away from it and turn to Him. And when we study the Ninevites and we look at their response, this is exactly what they did. They turned to God. Jonah's preaching, it put this torch to the entire city of Nineveh. I mean, it impacted everybody from young to old. We're even talking about animals and beasts in here. It's really an incredible terminology of it impacted the entire area. I was thinking about that and it burdened my heart to pray. That's what we need, brothers and sisters. We need the message of God. We need the Word of God to permeate our culture. It's the answer. It is what we need. We need a revival like in the days of Nineveh where everybody from young to old, poor to rich, everybody that there is to be moved by the Word of God. It's exactly what happens in Nineveh. People were gripped with shame and sorrow For their sin. They were broken for their sin. That's really where it all starts. You know, there's this huge corporate change, but it happens one individual at a time being confronted with their own sin and turning from their own sin. One of the things that's disgusting about us self-righteous Americans is that when we think about solutions and we think about transformation, we think about what we can do, what laws we can pass, what things we can put in place to force everybody else to act like they should. With doing very little self-examining of the wickedness in my own life that needs to stop. Because here's the way that it works, and it's the only way it works. It will never work another way. This is the only way it works. The individual changes first, then the family changes with the individual, then the community changes. It doesn't work the other way around, brothers and sisters. It starts in the home, and the home starts with one person. And as the family is changed, as the home unit is changed, one family at a time, one person at a time, then the community begins to change. We can't get the cart before the horse to start focusing on changing the whole community. And when we look at Nineveh, their response was like this personal, individual response. They were guilty before God. The third thing I want you to notice concerning second chances, probably my favorite point in this message, is that you should never count anyone out. Never count anyone out. It's just a surprising outcome. Nineveh is this wicked place. Nineveh's reaction to Jonah, it's really interesting, right? I mean, even the message seems absurd. Here comes this Jonah, by himself, by the way. No army with him. No authority behind him. No worldly authority. I'll just picture it from the people of Nineveh. Is trying to remember, this is a powerhouse, they're feared by everybody around them. In comes Jonah, and he's just proclaiming that uh, you got 40 days, you're going to be overturned. That's an absurd message. Like, who's going to overturn them? There's nobody in the land, there's everyone else is fearing Nineveh, not the other way around. It'd be one thing if there was like a tiny little town. And uh, somebody comes in and warns them that your neighbors are about to come in and destroy you. But this is the other way around. This is Nineveh. They're the powerhouse. They're the strong one. In comes this single man preaching through the streets, this simple message, and yet they believed it. This is what's incredible about the story is that you should never count anybody out. How many times do we not witness? How many times do we not share the gospel? How many times do we just assume Eh, it ain't going to work. Ah, eh, they don't want to hear. They don't want to know. Not no. Oh, you're talking about Nineveh. No. Those people are wicked evil people. They don't want to hear. They hear and they change. Not only was the message strange, the messenger was strange. You know, when I think about Jonah, I'm going to tell you something that I believe about this text. Uh, The Bible doesn't entirely tell us, but I'll explain why I believe it. I don't actually believe Jonah went in and preached his heart out. I'm going to tell you why I don't believe that, because next week we're going to see Jonah's heart wasn't changed. Next week we're going to see that when Jonah preached, he expected the people to be destroyed. And he was angry that they weren't. So, with that in place, knowing his attitude beforehand that he'd rather die than go preach to them, this is my opinion. This is where Joplin begins his opinion here. I don't think Jonah really preached his heart out. I don't think he preached as a dying man to dying men. I think he kind of preached in, come in and preached with a little half hearted, snarky, you're all going to die. My guess is there wasn't one person that heard Jonah preach that thought, man, that guy cares about us. We should listen to his word. And yet they did. So it's fascinating to me about it. That's why I call this point never count anyone out. There is nobody that God can't save. Man, we need this resurrected belief in the hearts of the church in a sincere way that applies not only to individuals but to cultures and to communities and to the current climate that we face. We begin to think things are hopeless. And while we might not say it in those words... You look at what we really believe, it's what we believe. Even in the way we pray, sometimes there's this sense of hopelessness that, well, maybe God's going to answer. It's the right thing to pray for revival, but let's just be real. It's not going to happen. And there's this sense of counting people out. Brothers and sisters, we should never count anyone out. Even the king. I want you to think about the king's response in verse 6. Look what it says. The word reached the king. Notice it doesn't say Jonah reached the king. Think about that. Think about that. Jonah comes in. He's preaching to people. They don't know who Jonah is. And because this is a a work of God, God opens their heart. God opens their ears. God transforms their lives. They're broken for their sin. The word is spreading like wildfire. We got 40 days, man. You better repent. The king hears about it. Not even from Jonah. He hears word of what's going on in his own community and it penetrates his heart. That's incredible. This is what happens when real revival breaks out. It might start with one man preaching, but it ends up with people spreading, talking about what God's doing, and there being a sense of sincere repentance that's just, it it is known. People are talking about it. The king hears about it. The king is broken by it. It says that he basically tore his robe, put on... Uh, ashes are put on sackcloth and set in ashes. Those ashes, they represent number one, fire, which is a, uh, a representation of punishment. That's a lot of times when they would put on ashes what it would represent, and it also represents dust, which is really all that we are, and it's where we return. It's just, it is this outward acknowledgement of humility that we are nothing but people who deserve to be judged and sent back to the grave. That's the king's response. And then not only is that his response, he makes a decree. Now what's interesting is the people were already going this direction. It's not like the people responded to the king's decree, but the king gets on board and says, "Look, this is this is uh, let's make this official. We all need to repent." And he asks this beautiful question. I love the question, verse 9, who knows? Who knows? God may turn and relent and turn from his fierce anger so that we may not perish. I love that verse. There's really not even a guarantee. There's really not a guarantee. I remember feeling that way when I got saved. Some of you have heard my testimony. Talk about never counting anybody out, wasn't raised in church, didn't know the scriptures. 20 years old, didn't I couldn't have told you the story that Jesus Christ died on a cross for my sins. I didn't know that. Wicked person caught up in just about every crime you could think of with the exception of violence on humans. Just a bad guy. That's what I was. I'm telling you never count anybody out. And in the darkest moments of my life when I'm thinking about ending my life, There's a Bible, and you you know why I turned to that Bible? Because God was stirring my heart. But you would have looked at my life, and you would think there's no chance with that one. Like, in order for him to get right with God, he's years off, right? He's going to have to get get some Christian witnesses around him. He's going to have to get some Christian friends talking to him. He's going to have to check out church you know, several times and learn some Bible. He, he is so far from ever being changed by God. Well, not true. I was literally days away from being radically transformed like that in a way that would never, I would never turn back. And this is why we don't count people out. Never count anyone out. The king makes this decree. It's an interesting decree about animals and beasts. He's like, don't let them eat either. Don't let them drink. Put some sackcloth on them. I pictured because this is what preachers do most of the time. We picture the setting. I just pictured all of the animals in sackcloth. (laughs) It's a funny picture. It reminded me of when uh, Jimmy Kimmel came on Shark Tank with his invention of horse pants. It's funny. It's funny invention. And I saw all these animals with uh, sackcloth on them, clothing. And you know what it teaches us? Very, very important lesson. They weren't all going to die because of the animals' sins. Really, the animals had not participated in any of it. However, the animals were going to suffer because of it. It's the interesting thing about sin, it makes everybody suffer. Your sinful decisions don't just impact you. They impact the entire community, including the animals. That's an interesting thought, that the way that we live impacts the world. It impacts the earth. It impacts the animals of the earth. And for that reason, there was this, all of us, we're all in this thing together. Like, we know this isn't your fault, uh, you you cows and you sheep and you animals, but we're all in this together together. And if we die, if we all die, you're dying too. It's just going to happen. And so there was this nationwide fast that was proclaimed. Who would have thought that's how Nineveh would have responded? We almost read through it and it's like, wow, that's awesome. Think about who we're talking about. Who would have thought this is how Nineveh would have responded? These are the evil, wicked, God-hating people that will never listen to the Word of God, never deserve to hear the Word of God. And their response is one of the greatest responses ever recorded in Scripture. It's better than most of the time that God's own children respond to their rebuke. It's just like unhindered, complete. We get it. And he asked the question, who knows? I remember when I got saved, That was sort of my attitude. Like, I didn't actually know I could be saved. All I knew is that God was real. My eyes were open to it. And He deserved to be followed. And and that was sort of the heart behind it. It was like, who knows what's going to happen with my life. All I know is I'm turning to God. I don't know what that means. I don't know if I can be forgiven for the awful, horrible things I've done. But I do know this. Even if I can't, I'm turning to Him. That was my heart. I later learned and later come to see God forgives. And that in that moment, all the things I was curious if God could forgive me for, they were gone as far as the east is to the west. And I stood in right standing with God as I turned to Him with my whole heart. I'm telling you, brothers and sisters, never count anybody out. I feel led to do something so different. This is not my normal style this morning. But I want to do this today i going to ask a few people to stand. Branson, you can go first. Talk about never counting anybody out. I met Branson at the Derby Rec Center. And just trying to make easy conversation with him, I asked him his name. He told me his name was Branson. I said, no kidding, man, my name's Joplin. And he didn't think that was funny. He thought I was just kind of making a stupid joke. And Branson was angry at this stage in his life. He wasn't angry at me. He was just angry. And it came out. I him what he does. He asks what I do. I tell him that I'm a pastor and kind of try to invite him to church. And he really just cuts me off pretty short and in essence tells me, dude, I've been to church my whole life. I've heard it. I know it. I'm not trying to be rude, but I don't want to hear about it. And that was it. And I, and I remember kind of feeling like, man, this dude, he's angry. And then, literally years of just being angry and getting to the place. Branson's told a story before where he's literally on a chair with a noose around his neck, figuring out if he's going to kick the chair out and die or not. Angry at the world. Angry at himself. Angry at church. And God began to stir his heart. And this is the wild thing about it. It's God that does it. He stands here today because God ended up moving his heart to just come and visit. And in that moment, God changed him and transformed him. It's been an incredible thing. Yeah. Friend, stay standing for a little bit. I want to ask uh, the Frischemeyer family, would you guys stand? Out of all things, God used the death of a mutual friend to turn these people to Him. A.J. spent years in and out of prison. A.J. is one of those people, we both came from the same community. I know his story. A.J. was one of those people that everybody would look at and say, there's just not him. No no way for him. Too far, too crazy, too this, too that. Him and his wife lived together homeless for a long time. We're not talking a matter of weeks or days. We're talking in and out of that state and just unbelievable addiction for years. A.J. would be in and out of prison. He'd get out literally working to get money to buy drugs for his wife's addiction. And everybody that knew them says, there's no way. It's It's a powerful story of God's faithfulness and God's love. We had a mutual friend that died. That man was Nate Weens. Nate Weens' mother and father reached out to you to see if you'd start coming to church with him. That's who he sits with right here to his right. It's Nate's mom and dad. (laughs) Rather than being angry that he was a friend of Nate and that There was compassion and love. And they stand here completely redeemed and transformed. If you know their life, unbelievable story. God has totally transformed them. This is the real deal. Never count anybody out. I want to ask Brother Kevin Wilkes to stand. I want to share something about him that you might not know. Kevin used to be an uh, uh, insane alcoholic. I almost used the word incredible. Wrong word for it. It would apply, but literally drinking from the time he got up to the time he finished, um, I think the longest stint that he'd been in many, many years without being drunk was seven days. And, and that didn't happen very often. That was like the long thing. Kevin wasn't just a little casual drinker. He would he lived in a state of drunkenness. Now, here's, here's the incredible thing about his story. God showed up. At his house, one night he was drunk, uh, laying on the couch, and his sister and a handful of others came over, felt led by the Lord to pray for him, and God delivered him of alcohol. The next morning he woke up, he was no longer an alcoholic, and he has never drank alcohol since. Incredible story. But listen, you know what happened with Kevin, though? Everybody assumed he saved. That's what happened with Kevin. Kevin. Newsflash, just because you quit doing drugs or quit using alcohol don't mean you're saved. Remember I said there's more than just a turning away from, there's a turning to. And Kevin just turned away from and, and by default, like, so what do I do now? Kind of entered into the church realm. But he wasn't saved. And what would transpire would end up in years of hurt. Where for one, he wasn't a Christian in the first place, so he wasn't living like a child of God. Wasn't seeing things correctly. Wasn't seeing the scriptures correctly. And short story is, ended up getting burned by some really just junk that happened in the church. And so here he is, alcohol free, but he's made up his mind, never going to step fruit in church again. Then, One of our uh, members invites his wife to come check out one of our ladies' ministries. His wife ends up getting saved. She turns her life to the Lord. And she says to Kevin, we're having a baptism service coming up, and I want to be baptized. And Kevin's somewhat mad about it. And he'll tell you why, because he missed the first baptism of his previous, or he missed the baptism of his previous wife because he was drunk. Too drunk to make it. And he thought, I ain't going to do that again. So he showed up here with a chip on his shoulder, hating me and everybody else here, even though he didn't know us. We had a guest preacher that night. And that night, sitting there in his chair, God dealt with his heart about who he was and basically said these very simple words to him, you have never picked up your cross and followed me. See, it was the turning, too. And on that day, God radically transformed his life, gave him a heart to be here, gave him a heart to serve God, and God's molded him into one of the best deacons that you'll ever meet. You know what is the point? Never count anybody out. I didn't want to do this this morning because I didn't want to pick one of my children, so, but I'm going to do it anyways. I'll pick my favorite. Hallie, would you stand? You know what? <clears throat> this is a story of somebody that never did grow up and go through these types of you know, heart-wrenching stories. Instead, this is somebody that at a young age, when it was seen too young to really understand, too young to really grasp the concepts of sin, this is true of most of my children, we're talking between five and seven, was pricked in her heart with the simple truth she knew she was a sinner and came to us broken about it, and wanted to know, what can I do? With the same intensity that we read about in Acts chapter 2, when they came to Peter, pricked in their heart, what can we do to be saved? I watched little children pricked in their heart. You would think this message is too hard, this message is too deep, this message is too spiritual. I'm telling you, don't ever count anyone out. I've seen people that have thought they were saved for years, and for the most part, their life looked very saved. If you've been watching our testimony series, you've heard three or four of them. By all accounts, good people going to church, doing the right thing. Their story isn't one of years of homelessness and drug addiction. Their story isn't, story isn't one of years of anger and rage and just hate towards the church. Their story isn't one of being delivered from alcoholism. Their story isn't one of truly being transformed and saved at a young age. Their story is one of, man, I went to church my whole life and I just thought I was saved. Sometimes those are the hardest people to reach. Sometimes those are the most difficult people to see saved because they believe they are, but there's never been a true turning to God, turning away from their sins. Here's the message, brothers and sisters. Never count anyone out. Thank you. You guys can be seated. Never count anyone out. You need to know this morning, it don't matter who you are, how long you've been running from God, what you have done, what you haven't done, how young you are, how old you are, you need to know. You serve a God of second chances. Never count anyone out. The final fact I want us to learn this morning about second chances with God is simply this. God never offers grace that He doesn't plan to give. God never offers grace that He doesn't plan to give. You know, there's a shred of hope in those words. Who knows? Who knows what God's going to do? There's this hope that we find in Jonah from the sailors who cry out when, you know, God, please don't let this fall upon us. They're going to throw Jonah into the sea. Here we see the king crying out on behalf of the people. Who knows what God's going to do? There's this faint shred of hope, even here in these pagan people, that somehow God might be merciful. Somehow God might be gracious. Somehow God might extend mercy and forgiveness to us. And as we see every time He does, We talk about the response of Jonah. We talk about the response of the people of Nineveh. But I want us to think about the response of God. God never offers hope, grace, forgiveness. He never offers it if He doesn't plan to give it. There have been people, multitudes, who have heard That voice of God, that still small voice in their heart, sometimes through my preaching, sometimes through others, sometimes elsewhere, but they hear that still small voice saying, Repent. And you think to yourself, Not me. You think to yourself, This grace, this love, this mercy, it's for everybody else out here, but not me. Not what I've done. And not only can I tell you to not count yourself out, can I tell you something about God? He never offers grace that He doesn't intend to give. God doesn't dangle it out in front of us and then pull it away from us. That's not the intention of God. And if God's stirring your heart, if God's dealing with you, if you if you if you hear the voice of God calling you to come, you need to know that God has every intention of following through on his end and giving you the grace that you need to be his. The Lord's heart is to give grace. I want you to notice verse 10, and I'm done this morning. In fact, I'm going to ask Chris if you guys would get in place. I want you to notice these important words, when God saw what they did. Not when God knew their hearts, not simply when God heard their prayer. When He saw what they did, how they turned from their evil way. Although God could read their hearts, the threat of destruction was really only removed when they proved what they said was in their hearts with actions that followed. There's this great lesson of Scripture. That true repentance, which happens in the heart, repentance really is. It's a change of mind in, in the heart, the way we view life, the way we view God. That's what true repentance is. But there's this truth about in the Scriptures that true repentance leads to a true change in how we live. And if there's not, if there's not a change in how we live that can be seen, then what we say happened in here didn't really happen in here. It's like there's this odd, two confusing options sometimes that people choose. One is they say they believe in God, but they're not turning away from anything. That's kind of weird. Supposedly they've turned to God and they believe in God. The Bible teaches us that even the demons believe and tremble. It's almost a sarcastic statement that James makes like, Oh, you believe in the one God. Good for you. Good for you. Even the demons believe that. So it's not enough to just believe or turn to God. That's just, that's just one kind of weird faith that we're seeing in these days where people supposedly turn to God, but they're not turning away from anything. And then we see this other coin of what I would call false transformation where the whole goal is simply to turn away from something. And there are lots of people whose stories, like Brother Kevin Wilkes, it's like there's a miracle that happened, they turned away from their addiction, their alcohol, and it's like, well, that was the end game. No, it's not. You you've got to turn to God. Yes. And God lifted. God relented. God, if you will, the way that God was gonna deal with these people changed when God saw. The actions of change this morning I ask you the question can God see the actions of change when he looks at you you know that's the important question because all of us have our own private life it's super easy to look churchy and christiany right here the very fact you're sitting here looks kind of christiany doesn't it? It's easy to do, but God sees us when we leave this place. God sees us on Monday. God sees us at night. God sees us in the morning. God sees us throughout the day. He sees how we react, how we treat people, how we act, how we behave, how we talk. He sees these things. So the question this morning is, what does God see when he sees you? Because that really tells the true story of what's going on in here. This morning, if you hear those words and you think to yourself, I stand guilty, I remind you of what this entire message is about. The God of second chances. A God that never offers grace that He doesn't plan to give. A God that never speaks to our hearts to try to turn us around if He's not willing to take us the moment we turn.